Hey everyone, welcome back to Today in Tech. I'm Julia Beauchamp. I am here with industry analyst and author Chase Cunningham. We're talking about deep fakes, so stick around. Chase, thank you so much for calling in. Really appreciate it. Calling in all the way from DC, right? Yeah, just outside of DC, out in the uh, out in the country. So it's isolated, whether I like it or not. <laughs> Maybe for the best right now. So as I mentioned before, we're obviously talking about deepfakes, but who better to explain what exactly a deepfake is than you? So could you tell us what exactly a deepfake is and how they're made? There's there's actually a variety of uh, deepfakes, if you will. Um, the one that most people are are commonly referring to when they talk about deepfakes is the uh, video versions. You've probably seen the stuff online where um, Tom Cruise's face is put onto Bill Hader and uh, Schwarzenegger's face is put onto Bill Hader or uh, the Obama one is everyone's really familiar with. But essentially what they're doing there is they're taking an image like the image of me and they're using graphics capabilities to put another person's um, image over it. But because of the way that you're using the sort of AI and the machine learning back end, you can make it look very realistic. Uh, and that's the one most people are familiar with. The other types that are out there that are starting to show up more often now is um, voice fakes and read fakes. And voice fakes are basically where I take a recording of your voice, I use an imprint to build a model of it, and then I put other people's words on your voice and send it to folks, which obviously can be very bad. And then the last one is a read fake, which is uh, using an artificial intelligence, really a machine learning engine to generate fake text. And uh, those are actually pretty interesting, seeing some of the stuff that those machines are able to come up with on their own. Right. So a deepfake goes beyond an impression or even something that seems that like it's deliberately false. For example, in the case of read fakes, is the difference between a read fake and just something that someone wrote to be deliberately false is the fact that the read fake is AI generated? Yeah, so I, I wrote about this in my book, uh, really. There was an, uh, a, a, a researcher that came up with a read fake and wanted to see if he could input a whole bunch of Shakespeare and then let the machine generate a Shakespearean play. And it did. And interestingly enough, it was good enough that he sent it off to some folks and they bought, they thought that it was actual real Shakespeare, that had just never been discovered. Um, and it was totally generated by a machine. Deepfakes obviously seem like quite a big threat for... I mean, industries across the board. So what is the appeal of a potential bad actor using a deep fake? So the, the real appeal there is, uh, you know, we, whether folks want to realize it or not, we kind of derive our perception of reality now based off of what we see online. I mean, if you think about it, you get your news, you get your video from YouTube and Twitter and LinkedIn and all those things. Well, if you're a malicious actor and you can't get an exploit or a, a hack to work, because network security is better than it used to be. Um, the next best thing is to go after individuals that are C-level executives and those type of folks and basically come up with a fake video or video or, uh, or graphic or something that shows them doing something that is compromising. Um, if you could picture, you know, like the uh, CEO of Ford Motor Companies saying something that was essentially hate speech, um, you could really cause detriment to an organization and it, by the time they can respond, it's accepted as reality, and then they have to work their way backwards. So it's it's very damaging. So do you see the use of deep fakes as sort of a way that hacking has evolved? I know in your book you sort of mentioned this as like 
hacking reality, do you see it as the outcome of perhaps better security measures on an enterprise's part? Well, so I think what we're, we're seeing is that uh, the, the old sort of exploits and malware have kind of hit their threshold. I mean, you can still cause some exploitation and damage with those, but this stuff continues to evolve. Uh, and where we're going to see this happen more in the future is if you're familiar with ransomware, you know, ransomware, you hit a person's machine and then you basically tell them to pay up or whatever. Well, imagine if you came up with fake videos and imagery and text and essentially put that on someone's hacked Twitter feed and said, look, if you don't do what I want, I'm going to post this online to a million followers. Um, and that could get really, really bad really, really fast. Wow. Yeah. So what are the implications for this beyond an enterprise? I mean, the natural thing that I'm thinking of, it's obviously an election year here in the United States. I mean, that here in the U.S. we are acutely aware of, even with the coronavirus crisis ongoing. I would imagine that this could be a serious, serious threat for elected officials. Yeah, that's the one that actually worries me the most. Um, you know, corporations can kind of deal with this, but when you're dealing with something as dynamic as an election cycle where there is a a vested interest for nation states to cause hate and discontent. Um, this is the perfect opportunity. And you know, the, the fact that these candidates live and breathe by what their perception is online, which comes from video and text, um, is a very, very uh, open avenue for exploitation. So if I'm the citizen and I see my elected official posting something that seems outwardly hateful um, and seems to cause some sort of large controversy, how can I tell whether or not it's fake? Isn't the sort of draw of deep fakes that, for hackers at least, or bad actors, is that they're really, really difficult to distinguish if they're real or not? The good ones are, yeah. The good, some of the ones that you see from the uh, you know, less perfected uh, agents are kind of comical most of the time. You can tell they're pixelated and you can pick up something's weird there. There was one a while back with Nancy Pelosi and another one with Hillary Clinton that was very quick to tell that something wasn't right. Uh, but really, uh, when you're thinking about these type of things, I typically call it the, the rule of three. Um, you know, take your information from three different sources, you know, and, and get it from something that you know and you commonly look at, something that you've never looked at and you don't really know, and then something that is totally orthogonal to the storyline, and then make a decision based on that. Um, and if you do those things, while it may take you a little bit longer, you have a better chance of actually responding intelligently to the issue. Right. And, but I would imagine that some people aren't going to necessarily take those steps to perhaps think critically, or sometimes it just seems be just believable enough that they take it as fact. I would imagine that also with the use of social media, a deep fake video or any sort of other deep fake audio or read fake could spread rapidly. Yeah. I mean, this, this is gasoline on fire I and mean, all it takes is one person. Uh, I, I wrote about this too, about influencing the influencers. And if you if you're doing this intelligently as an, an adversary, you target someone that has lots and lots of followers that typically will respond at an emotional level based on the information they put in front of them. And when you get that emotional response, right, you see something, this is wrong, and then they go off and firestorm it out to the uh, the internet. It just it just takes off like a rocket ship. And uh, you don't have to go after a candidate. You go after someone that is tangential to a candidate. Maybe they're their kids or someone else that's an influencer that's tied to them. Right. And then it can become a bit of a dumpster fire, much like what's going on behind you right now.
Exactly. That's right there. <laughs> so let's say, you know, you've been deep faked. And at first glance, it might seem like the people who are most at risk for being deep faked, as it were, are politicians, you know, the heads of companies. But like you just said, it seems like it could be kind of anyone. Yeah, the, the biggest thing here is to uh, have a, a, a sort of a knowledge of what's out there that's relative to your, your persona and to be able to respond. Um, and it's one of those things where and if you, if you kind of look at what happened with the Pelosi and the Hillary Clinton and whatnot and some of the others that are in that line, the, the response has to be very quick and it has to be something where you are uh, saying like, this was not me, I don't agree with this, I, you know, this is totally against my personal beliefs. It cannot just be um, something of, no, that wasn't me. Like there has to be uh, a, a vectored response to it because you're, you're combating an emotional response from the masses. Right. And what can that response even possibly begin to look like? Uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I kind of put some of this as uh, theoretical possibilities in, in the book. But I mean, you could imagine, especially with what will be going on now with COVID, I, I have this imaginary scenario of, um, the deep fake showing up in a particular area where there is a lot of COVID cases and some uh, some uh, pharma organization saying, we have a cure, however, we don't have enough and we're only gonna give it to this group of people. And if you do that, I mean, can you imagine the fallout from that? And it would be instant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that that would be, a, it would spread also just like wildfire. I mean, you potentially could cause riots that might lose, you know, human life over something like that. So do you think it's wise for people, enterprises, politicians, anyone who could be at any sort of risk for being deep picked to have and plan out their potential response now? Yeah, they should. Uh, and, you know, this is this is one of those ones where I do a lot of work on Capitol Hill and there's been some early you know, conversations around how to combat this at scale. Um, honestly, those solutions aren't present in the market yet, but the reality of it is, is just like they have disaster planning and, and contingency planning, they should have some sort of plan uh, ready for this when it does happen because it, it's going to happen. Uh, I think there was recently uh, a disinformation campaign around COVID where uh, they were saying the U.S. Army was the one that built COVID and released it to the masses. And there, there were people already jumping on Facebook saying, oh, you know, the army's doing this, it's all the U.S. against us, and this is a big conspiracy. And by the time logic um, dialed in on that, it was pretty far down the rabbit hole. So I'm thinking now, as deepfakes, I have to imagine, continue to spread and continue to gain popularity. And I would also assume only become more convincing as AI and ML technologies advance. What's You are probably left with a public who's really skeptical, not sure of what's true and what's not. So, I mean, in some sort of perhaps dystopian as it may be future, I could foresee someone intentionally releasing a deep fake, something that is inherently false, false information, and a fake person portraying it and saying, nope, this is real. And then the public just doesn't know who to believe. Yeah, so if you if you follow some of the nation state level uh, directives around this, uh, so you know Russia basically literally says in their um, campaign guidance that chaos is the goal. That it's one of those things where they don't have to necessarily win by just degradation and uh, eliminating the enemy. If they can cause enough strife and discourse and chaos, 
they still win by just the nature of people having to respond to it and continue to claw through that process. Right. And in that way, it can seem that whatever goal the person who was being deep faked was trying to accomplish is just, I, does whatever plan any someone or goal that someone is trying to accomplish immediately take a backseat once they've been deep faked? Does, does reaction and denying a deep fake immediately come first? It, it, I mean, I think it has to, if you, if you, I mean, you can look at what happened with Starbucks a little while ago where they had the police issues with the, uh, uh, you know, ethnicity and all that. And Starbucks actually responded extremely quickly to it, covered the social media angles, and they were able to minimize the impact to the company based on that response. And then you look at some folks at like Wells Fargo and a few others that have had similar sorts of instances that kind of sat back and said, we'll just let this blow away. And uh, the, the gasoline was already on the fire. And by the time they got to it, it was a raging inferno. Got it. So I guess before I let you go, Chase, how we may have a lot of viewers who are um, C-level executives within their enterprises or have some sort of relationship to a high-powered person. And they might be wondering, how do I prevent a deep fake of me? Is that even possible? I don't think you can prevent a deep fake just like you can't prevent uh, a hack or you can't, I mean, you can't prevent yourself from getting sick, really. But what you can do is take uh, intelligent sort of steps to make sure that you have an ability to handle it when it does occur and be ready to respond. Uh, this is one of those things where it is not a matter of um, if, but it's a matter of when and how bad. And if you, if you have a plan in place and you follow it and you respond intelligently, you can probably... Um, deal with the fallout. The, the single worst thing that organizations can do is ignore this and then let it happen. Right. Security is always sort of about mitigating risk, right? And never about completely solving the problem. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, if you're able to respond to it, you're, you're, you might be throwing water on a raging inferno, but eventually the water will start helping out. Right. So where do you see deepfake technology maturing and growing in the next few years? Uh, I think that where we're going to continue to see this is the evolution of this, just like we saw with malware, where it used to be you had to be a, uh, an exploitation engineer and a computer scientist to write malware and whatnot, and now you can just buy it and use it. Um, the next iteration of this is going to be just like that, where this is going to become easy to get, uh, easy to use, deployable. There's already some sites that are offering, I think it was like five to $7 an hour to generate deep fakes. You know, so it's gonna become more prolific as those costs and as those technical requirements drive southward. I have to also wonder what sort of efforts are being made to combat it. I've seen sort of reports of AI tools that, you know, instead of creating deep fakes are really trying to search effectively to distinguish real versus fake. Is there any sort of promise in that? Yeah, some of the early conversations at the, you know, grand level are around uh, leveraging uh, distributed ledger systems to kind of tag real videos and real images and then anything else that comes out that is not is basically considered a, a uh, fake until proven otherwise which is interesting in its approach. Um, but, you know, the other problem that we run into is the amount of information that we generate now on a given day is so astronomical. You know, how could you possibly keep up with that? So, Chase, before I actually let you go this time, is there anything else about deepfakes that you want our viewers to know? 
Oh, I, I really think that it's a concept that everyone should figure out, you know, how they plan to respond to it and understand the intricacies of it. And just like with anything in the security space, um, you should know how you plan to deal with it, not if it will be an issue. Great. Well, thank you so much, Chase. I really appreciate it. This was super interesting, if not, as I mentioned before, a little bit concerning, but this is really great information for anyone, perhaps CSOs, CISOs, to help develop a plan now for response before they're the target of a deep fake attack. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, if you're really looking for the down and dirty on it, I happen to know somebody that wrote a book about it. <laughs> and we will certainly be linking Chase's book in the description below for anyone who is interested about learning even more really, really interesting stuff. It's the kind of thing that you it's you sh it's worth a read to see just how these deep fake attacks actually happen more than we can cover in you know a 15 to 20 minute video right thank you very much thanks and thank you all so much for watching this episode of today in tech if you liked this video be sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel if you have any questions or comments about deep fakes please leave a comment below i'll try my best to get back to you thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time this podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.